Hey everybody, <clears throat> uh, over here at uh, El Matador's house, we just cooked up uh, a couple big steaks and we're kicked back trying to record a grade A podcast again for everybody. And uh, he had a pretty big day. He flew all the way from uh, Sudan, Texas, all the way to Taos, New Mexico to spray a little bit. And it kind of was a little bit. He said like 580 acres or something like that. 526. And I spread it, not spraying. There's a difference. Spray I, I didn't even have booms on the airplane. So how long does that take to take all that off? Well, if the airplane's set up right, I know guys in rice country that do a bunch of fertilizing that with the airplanes, you know, and they, they switch three or four times a day. It takes about 15 minutes. My goodness. You drop the pump, you drop the booms, you drop the plumb into the pump. And then everything from the gate box back stays the same. And then you open, you you have to let your gate out. And uh, anyway, and then you put the spreader on, mount the spreader, make sure it's within two degrees of the cord line of the wing because it acts like a little wing, and you don't want it creating its own lift. Or you know, if if it if it's out of pot or if it's out of the uh, the two degree cord line, it'll actually throw fertilizer up real high. On, call they call it a rooster tail. It looks like a rooster tail on a boat. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. It looks leave, like leave spots and. You know, huh. it just doesn't do a good job. Anyway, so yeah, I mean, probably took 30, 35, 40 minutes because our planes aren't set up for it. But here, we don't do much dry, so. That's pretty neat. I didn't think you could switch them over that fast. Yeah, it ain't too bad. Is your ferry speed quite a bit better when you get that off? When you put that spreader on there, it gets worse. Really? Yeah, it's like if you're driving down the road, sorry. I'm chewing. I know that annoys people when I talk, but the uh, steak's pretty damn good. I told him I'd bring him some grade A meat over, and he's like, nah, you can't do that. <clears throat> my wife's the greatest cook there ever was, and I said, shit, hold my beer. She still is a great cook, <laughs> but she's not here tonight. She's at her mom and dad for the weekend. She went to pick our dogs up and went out of town. Your steak seasoning, damn sure, is right. you're right about that steak seasoning. Is that that chili? Yeah, we're going to have to swap try those that. other two steaks. Try that. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, try that shit. Appreciate it. That's that Red Raider meat. But that other stuff, my dad got me hooked on. It's molasses and chili pepper. It's good. Oh, yeah. It's good. She's mint. Anyway. But, um, what were we talking about? Uh, how that... Oh, yeah, but the spreader. So you ever load... You ever haul a load of pipe down the road, you realize, you know, it just makes it a lot more drag. Even though it's open, you wouldn't think so. It's like forcing all that air Like a cotton trailer. Like cotton trailer. said you could pull a cotton trailer a lot better when it was loaded than when it was empty. Yeah, because all the air don't go through it. And that's the same thing with the spreader. The the spreader is just basically a wind tunnel. That's all it is. It's got 11 veins in it. Some have more, some have less than what I'm running than 11 vein. Or a 12 vein. 12 in, not 11. So is that a 60 foot swap? Yeah, it's well, we yeah we run about 55 on on that spike today. We could have done more, but you know. Anyway, but it's uh it uses to spread it out real good. And you fly about 120 foot above the ground, so it's pretty high, 80 to 120. Yeah. Um, wow. But uh, but yeah, it's got a lot of drag, so my ferry speed actually goes down. So when I went all the way to Towson today, I was doing 130. It's slow going. On the way back, I got a tailwind, though, so that was pretty nice. Well, this guy, <clears throat> I just got to work today. That says so much about me. I didn't really show up, start doing anything till kind of 9.30, and he's already in New Mexico. Got a good morning Texas from old uh, El Matador. He's flying over the mountains. 
really sure what it was. It was a beautiful view. Oh, it really was. It, uh, anyway, I got a bunch of family up there uh, north uh, northwest of Taos, south of the uh, New Mexico-Colorado <laughs> border. Uh, what were you telling? I can't talk distance around you. I'll get shut down. <laughs> so it's like 15 miles, 12 I was, miles. Where was so. I? I was 40 miles north of Taos. Yeah, but uh, that San Antonio. Mount San Ananito. San Ananito. <laughs> it's like 30, 35 miles due west of me. Yeah, but how many miles south of the border? The Colorado. Like 12. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Finally got one right. I didn't have to Google it either to make him happy. But uh, I got a bunch of family up there, and he was flying right around where my granddad grew up. It was pretty neat. See that uh, country in a lot different way than I've ever seen it. Yeah, it doesn't look like a desert shithole. It really is. It really doesn't look that bad from the sky, yeah. <laughs> pretty great. But driving through there, because we go that way every every year to vacation, going through that way, though, it's not that great. Did you see any elk or deer or anything when you were up there? Not today. But when I was there... The other day, fishing almost hit a black bear. Really? Yeah. And, okay, so this is pretty funny. It's kind of shitty. You're going to think I'm a terrible parent, and that's probably okay. But <laughs> So we're driving around the curb, you know, and it's about 9 o'clock at night, and we're, we're on our way back from town. Went to get a few supplies. and Anyway, we go around this curb, and there's this bear, and I'm doing about 70, doing good old, you know, the Texas speed is about 10 mile an hour over this posted speed limit, and so I was doing about 70 to come around this curb. And there's this fucking bear cub. And I mean, and I say bear cub, a bear cub's pretty damn big. Yeah. But, you know, that mama somewhere else around is a black bear cub. And I'm going to smoke this thing. And I hit the brakes pretty aggressively. And anyway, it got outside the road. And I was like, look, babe, it's a fucking bear. The next morning, my parents roll in about 2 o'clock that morning because they came after we did. And um, anyway, the next morning, my, my son finds a puzzle in this place that we're staying. And... It, uh, it was a jungle puzzle, but it didn't have a bear on it. And my, my son's three years old. Anyway, and my mom was sitting there, and she's talking about him with the puzzle, and he's like, but there's no fucking bear here. <laughs> oh, it was great. <laughs> well, it was great for me. I mean, yeah. I thought it was funny, but my mom was pretty ashamed of me. And <laughs> I got a good lesson of preaching about, about my words, but, I mean, you know, it was pretty funny. How big was that cub? Every bit of probably seven weight, eight weight, no shit. seven eight hundred pounds. I ain't kidding. Uh, that's like a full grown. It looked like bear. a full grown freaking cow. Well, yeah, but like those black bears, they don't get that heavy. Like seven hundred pounds. Really? Yeah, they don't get that big. This thing, I ain't kidding. This thing was every bit of seven eight hundred pounds, and but it it was a cub. You could tell. Huh? Its frame wasn't that big, but it was fat. Huh. I'm going to have to Google this because I don't know if I believe you too there much. There you go. There you go. No, those bears. I've never, I guess, I've seen, so we were in Colorado when I was a little kid. We saw a black bear running up like a big avalanche shelf. Mm-hmm. And I guess that might have been the only bear I've ever seen in person. Uh, no, no. We went to Alaska fishing. In 09, we saw grizzly bears every gut. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so I'm wrong. I'm going to eat my crow. Oh, I, at least I got my good, my good cutlery. At least we're giving you good, uh, good facts. Yeah, we don't want to corrupt you with bad facts. But, yeah, the typical American large adult 
blackberry ranges from a hundred or male ranges from a hundred and thirty to six hundred and sixty pounds. Wow. The female ranges from ninety to a hundred and eighty pounds. What? That's the mass. What Google says. Those things live forever. I, so Meat Eater Podcast, y'all all need to go listen to that. That you uh really broaden your horizons about great stuff. It's a man, I love that podcast. This is my favorite one, Meat Eater. Anyway, those bears, like 17-year-old bears, 20-something-year-old black bears, they just, they live a long time. They're pretty, bears are pretty fascinating. It must have been an adult male because, uh, that we saw. Or adult, you know, it could have been an adult female. It says they're 90 to 375 and a typical black bear is 126 to 551. All I know is this damn thing was huge. Yeah. And it was furry and it was fat and it was running towards the house across the road. <laughs> You know, and I had rifles in the pickup, I could have stopped them and like, oh, maybe we ought to warn them people. But you know, I was like, eh, dickheads better put their food up. That's all I got to say. They probably named them. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, you were flying up there around Taos, around where my grand- grandparents yeah. felt, uh, grew up. Right. Uh, what's the name of that damn mountain again? San Antonito. It's the biggest freestanding mountain in the U.S. And it's, uh, I guess that, well, everybody kind of knows where Taos is. I guess if you're fortunate, you don't know where Taos is, but. It's still in New Mexico, so it sucks. It's one hell of a pretty, pretty neat mountain to behold. It's just sitting in the middle of nowhere kind of deal. It's pretty far from any other little hill around it. A couple miles, anyway. It's got to be a volcano, don't it? No. Because there's a lot of volcanic rocks around there. I've always thought that. I didn't know, but we always figured it was volcano. Just because, you know, when you get to, like, Trace Perdejos or whatever. Tres Tres Piedras. Tres Piedras. And then all the way back, basically, to Espanola, there's some pretty big, I mean, lava rocks out there. I'm talking about, like, these things couldn't have just, like, flown in on a ship. I'm talking about, like, (laughs) two, three ton, two, three ton rocks just chilling out there. And the only big mountain around is that damn thing, so... My uh, grandmother lives kind of right across the road from that thing. Not my grandmother, my great-great-grandmother. So I always told him, I was going to make a lot of money, and I'm going to buy that goddamn mountain, and I'm going to own that thing. So I Googled it a bunch, and uh, it's got some pretty neat facts about it. It's uh, got a pretty big rise on it, but it's not very steep. Like, we've driven back from Colorado. I got a bunch of family in Alamosa. And we've been driving back home, you know. And the amount of well, elk that winter up on top of that thing. I bet. Watching all the elk walk up and down that thing. It's crazy to see. A lot of cool stuff. There's getting to be a lot of houses on it. Oh, yeah, especially on the sides there. And I was wrong. It's not Mount San and... and Antoine. And Anito. I thought that was the whole town was named after the mountain, but I'm actually looking it up on the Google because we want to hear it. The Something About Farming podcast, we want to fill your minds with knowledge and facts unlike Texas backdoor hillbilly five miles from everywhere mentality. Yeah, if I was a trucker, I'd be broke. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> be quoting people half halfway across the country. Oh, I can't be more than 100 miles. <laughs> Uh, so we want to provide you with accurate facts. So what we're talking about here is the San Antonio Mountain. No, it's a I peak in right. New Mexico. The elevation is 10,909 feet. The prominence, I don't really know what prominence means, but it's 2,110 feet. The prominence, huh? 
2,100 feet. I, I don't know what that means. No, I got to look at what prominence on a mountain is. that means. like how wide the peak is? Like how... It's like a big pile of shit. No kidding. <laughs> it's just a big round... Just a big round mountain. It's really neat. So my great-great-granddad... Yeah. Two greats in there. He built a big stock tank up on top of that thing, and they ran cows on it long time ago. And then my granddad and his cousins, they built a big horse trap up on top, or, or on it, and they broke a bunch of horses up there. They didn't have running water into their house, like, way after everybody else had running water. I mean, it goes to show you how depleted New Mexico is, you know. But he told me... <clears throat> Uh, what they did is they just took a five-gallon bucket and they stepped back far enough where they got their pattern right and just shot a hole in the bucket and that was their shower. And they didn't ever have running water for a long time. I'm talking up into the 60s. Like, what in the hell, man? That's cowboy. That, that's, cowboy. that's New Mexico for you. They're always about 40 years behind. <laughs> Yeah, they're just now starting to figure out that roads don't need to be 55 mile an hour anymore. Oh, my God. I'm going to get me another steak. Anyway, so on here on SAF with our fact-based research, we're going to talk about mountain prominence, like we all really need to know this in cotton farming country. But in topography, prominence measures the height of a mountain or a hill's summit relative to the lowest contour line encircling it. So it's 2,100 feet, I guess, from whatever to whatever. Still, whatever it is, that's a big mountain. It, it's big. But it's, it's, it's relatively... It's neat, man. It, like it's, it, it stands out there all by itself. I think the closest other place, a hill or anything, is about 20 miles away. It's being... Uh, well, across the road, they got the perlite mine, and they're oh, hills. Yeah, but they're, that's they're a hills. hill. We went fishing back there. Uh, I can't even say the name of the... Carson it, National Forest? <clears throat> Uh, probably. Let's ride around. So we'd go back behind it to the west of it, into those mountains. Yeah, it's the Carson National uh, Forest. We'd go rainbow fishing. Man, that is a lot of fun. Uh, Brookies and rainbow is a great, great deal up there. See, we go up to the Conejos, which is Spanish for rabbit. And it's right in there. So you go north of that mountain and you go up to Ananito. Yeah. And take Highway 17 back like you're going to Chama. Right there before you get to the Chama Pass, there's a little forest road. It's a um, gravel road. One of the roughest roads I've ever been on. It's actually pretty smooth this year, but it keeps all the, the people that don't really need to be there out. Yeah. Which is why I love it. But uh, it's Forest Road 250, and you go up there, and that, that's all the way up to Platora, which is the highest man-made reservoir in the United States. Really? Mm-hmm. 9,000-something feet. Hmm. But uh, that rabbit, or uh, that river's a gold pan river. And because they got so many gold mines up there. Really? But they don't stock it. But the natural browns in that river, the German browns, are huge. Huh. I mean, they're pretty big, and I love German brown fishing. Rainbow's pretty good. I'll, I'll take just about anything because right. I just like fishing. But guess I know anything about a German brown. You ever uh, been on the Los Pinos River? My granddad used to fish in that thing. You, this is New Mexico shit, huh? Los Pinos. <laughs> Apparently, it's pretty little. Tex like, loves that. Little. that. That's Texas. Yeah, that's Texas' favorite place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
He's going to the Los Pinos. He wants to take the river one one drink at a time. Oh yeah, hammer down. Uh, Damn, really? I wonder, what, okay, what does that mean, though, Tex? Give me some it's Spanish gotta be, translations. No, you you got to Google. My phone's taking up on the recording. I think that's east. <clears throat> it's in between Taos and Tres Piedras. If I, from kind of the stories I've heard about it. Oh, we're done. Los Pinos, Pines. Pine. No shit. No, I'm just saying. I mean, I'm looking at it now. When I typed in, I'm like, pine, pinos, pine. Maybe I don't know. I was, I was a little bit dirty minded then. <laughs> anyway, they fished out no. the year before we went back northwest of uh, San Antonio Mountain. I got to Google Translate on the front page of my phone because you never know when you're gonna have to talk to somebody you don't know. Huh? Yeah, it's pretty. You handy. got all the cool toys on your phone. Because I spend 90% of my time on it. I yeah, well, you can't talk on the group chat. You're busy playing around on Google. Pine trees! I told you, dude. I mean, that's just a little context clue. Huh. Well, there goes all the humor in that name, huh? <laughs> we can tell Texas thinking about penis. I thought, like, they kind of talked like it was pretty little. But they said it was some good fishing up there. Hombre! <laughs> they talked about it being pretty little, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've never heard that before in my life. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yep. I've been told I short my whole life. Hey, we. Uh, I got a new uh, fashion trend. I'm going to start wearing a big old uh, top hat. I'm going to go walking around uh, Lincoln style. I'm, I'm okay with this. I already told Tex it'd be great. He'd grow about two foot and we wouldn't um, really have to do any therapy or nothing. Finally going to be pushing uh, 5'10". I'm, <laughs> I'm getting all the ladies now. Better watch out. Get some of them platform shoes like they used to wear back in the 70s. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Give Put me that a, hat, you'll be a whole 6'2". Oh, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Would you get rid of your little man's rage when you do that, though? No, no, no. it'd probably be worse. I can finally see what I'm yelling at. <laughs> that is some dang fine meat, amigo. It's pretty good, I've been telling you. That season is pretty good, too, though. It, I like the Compl- seasoning. Compliment? Have- well, besides that, I'm talking about the Texas Tech yeah. meat seasoning. Pretty good, too. I don't even remember tasting the slice you gave me. <laughs> I guess it's good. Well, I, I mean, it doesn't mean it's bad, right? No, it just goes to show how good uh, your life, how much you can help your life by networking, I guess. Best of both worlds, seasoning and good meat. So they got Traeger makes a rub for chicken. It's apple and that air's a bad thing on the podcast, right? Oh, now. it really is. Apple, we're still here. Apple and I'm uh, Los Pinos. Uh, Pinos. Apple and honey. Apple and honey, huh? Oh, it's pretty good. Well, I'm, it's damn good steaks over here. I tell you. Yeah, we tried to invite some more of the group members, the SAF members, but I uh, guess they're too good for us. Old uh, Ghost Rider, he was throwing his own little shindig. He was poisoning Making tacos teeth. and not inviting his friends. Yeah. He, <laughs> this, We're offended. I'm trying to meet up with everybody to do a podcast, and Ghost Rider's uh, showing off to everybody saying, I'm cooking uh, tacos. tacos. Which he's been telling us how good his mystery meat tacos are. Yeah, and he won't invite anybody in the group over to have some. Yeah, mostly because we're white. (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be what it is. I think our our dinner ended up being better than his. Way better. 
Yeah. We're going to have to deal with Ghost Rider. Yeah. We even offered him over here for cigars. Yeah, we got some good old cigars. I've never had an actually good high-end cigar, or somewhat. All I've ever had is those damn Phillies. Yeah, you, you yeah. ain't really lived life lately. No. I got these cigars when my daughter was born. I'm excited about them. <clears throat> I can't wait to have a good cigar. I hope they taste good. That's all I got to say, because they've been in that humidor for a year. And I can't say the humidor has been the best because it's just a wooden box. It ain't actual fancy humidor. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, these things are marble. Shit, son. We can be uh, like uh, old Rush Limbaugh. We're talking into the internet sphere, you know, and then smoking a cigar. We'll We're be, talking in the internet. We're going to be big time. And then you're flying all over the place just yeah, like Yeah, just him, like so. hitting him and his gold stream. We got it made. And, and you're going to start calling yourself, well, I call myself El Matador. He calls himself El Rushbo, so yeah. hey, there you go. If I had a gold iPhone, we'd be talking into a gold mic, and we, I mean, we'd be big time. <laughs> <laughs> Never going to be another poor day in cotton country. Nope, nope. That's kind of like what I said when we first ran our first 7460. I was like, man, ain't never going to be another poor day. <clears throat> man, oh, I wish we had an audience, biggest him. More of you people listening. If you told... Yeah, we're friends, ready to fucking retire, assholes. Y'all need to start listening to our podcast. We bro. need that dead gum penny of play, people. You need, to, <laughs> you need to be helping us out. We got to split that thing 12 ways, so help us out, man. If y'all want to hear We're, some good audio, maybe we'd finally pull our money together and buy, buy one microphone. Hey, a Marantz <laughs> turret. I've actually been doing research. Marantz turret is what we're going to get. And I'm going to get it. I'm going to get it this Christmas, and then we'll just use it. Because I'm a homie like that. So does it cancel out background noise? Mm-hmm. You, oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and it also has a slot for your phone so you can do video podcasts, which would be kick-ass. Oh, man. He's jumping all over the kitchen, popping off his 9mm. It's the craziest thing going on over here, guys. You got to throw the bullet, and you got to make sure you're tugging your balls <laughs> when you throw the bullet. I'm showing him the gangster way to throw it, because we were talking about how on my, my old farm truck, I used to have a 38-round magazine for my Glock. I got a Glock 17. Anyway, we'd go rabbit hunting with 38-round magazines on the on the pistols, and we'd turn them sideways, because we wanted to look like the hood rats, you know? And uh, anyway, I showed him the, the proper process of throwing the bullet. <laughs> You know, some people put lights on their guns to blind people when you're in a home defense. Well, this guy just paints his guns crazy colors to distract you while he's going to shoot you. It's, hey, hey this you're guy's just jealous because I love Texas more than you do. Yeah, I'm named after it, man. Hell yeah. Tex to the max. I does not. Don't you dare <laughs> say that. You can't. My name's Tex, Rambo. <laughs> El Matador. Rambo. What's... You, you got a Spanish name, man. I guess that's pretty El Matador, Texan. the bullfighter. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a Texian name. Yeah, original. Hmm. Maybe not, I don't know. I don't know. My name's better than his, and he just can't get over it. So. I've got guns that are painted like Texas flag. What do you got? I got a, I got a, I got a revolver on my hip, son. I, I don't need to be showing off to the world. I just show up to do business. I don't have to be, hey, look at me, come take this gun out of my pocket, because everybody can see it. <laughs> this is a good podcast. Oh, it's good steak and a good podcast. Really good steak. We're going to start calling this segment, me and Tex are going to start doing this once a month, and oh, we're going yeah. to start We're gonna start calling this Tex and El Matador Steak Chat. 
is uh, we need to review. This is what we need to do. I've been thinking about this in my mind. We need to review cotton for at least a minute in this podcast and okay. cotton markets. We need to do cows somewhere in here. Talk about cows, and we got to review at least one gun. Well, hell, son, that'd so, be a selling show. I'm telling you. So that's the three things that are, and we got to talk about how good of a station we got to make everybody jealous. So I don't know a thing about either three of those topics, so it's going to be riveting. Because the best thing, the thing I do best in this uh, group chat is tell everybody what they need to do on their farm. <laughs> when I don't have a damn clue about making the right decisions, but I always just spat off my two cents on it. I'm probably the reason everybody's broke in the group. <laughs> <laughs> no, hey, it's all right. We're gonna work. Texas is gonna start telling everybody to go on to Dave Ramsey. That'd actually be the smart thing. That's your job. No. So this guy, he gives me his good morning chat from New Mexico, and he's playing damn Dave Ramsey early in the morning. I didn't think he's on that time. No podcast, buddy. No, because when you get in no service areas, that's all I can. Yeah, listen to. But you know, I didn't know it was going through there. I didn't realize because. In my plane, I was flying Johnny's plane. In my plane, it doesn't, it doesn't go through the. It was Snapchat. super clear that first video he sent, like, like he was talking in your ear, and then that second video, you had heard a bunch of background noise. But that's pretty cool. It was nice. Yeah, man, it's beautiful. You had some trees start turning colors and stuff. It was just beautiful. Yeah, but I was sitting there thinking the whole time I was going over the mountain. Please don't fail me now, engine. Did you save that? That needs to go on the Instagram. Page. Hey, I'll put it on the Instagram. There you go. Yeah. I'll do that right now. That thing's called the S A F. Or is it something about farming on Instagram? I can't even remember what the... Wait, yeah. You've got two videos on the Instagram page. Oh, yeah. So the Mormons... Okay, we're going to get a little bit religious here for a second. But the Mormons have a big compound out in New Mexico. Really? They got these deals that they drew for aliens or extraterrestrial people. What in the world? It looks like two, two eyes with diamonds. What in the hell? Apparently, we were reading up on it. Yeah. And, um... My God. Yeah, they got it. Look at look, here. Look at look at this picture here. I'll put this all on the Instagram. Yeah, y'all got to see this stuff. Look at this runway. It's on top of a mesa. What? Where they find? But like Tom Cruise, or no, I'm not not Mormon. I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I was wrong here. I'm not calling out the Mormon religion. I just figured because they've got a lot of stuff that just all over. Well, you got a bunch these of are the Scient- These are the Scientologists. Like okay. Tom Cruise, yeah. Because they say Tom Cruise has gone out there. Well, Julia Roberts lives out there uh, west of Taos, or she well, had that's a north prairie dog that's, that's northwest of Conscious. Okay. I don't know. Lake Conscious. Yeah. Anyway. Lake Conscious. Huh. Oh, shit. It, yeah, but look at this thing. Ain't that weird? Jesus. And they got a big old mansion at the bottom of the hill. Really? Yeah, right here, look. New Mexico's a weird-ass place. <laughs> it really is. Because uh, we get to Santa Fe, the worse it gets. Yeah, nobody's going to find that thing. Kind of it's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. But uh, anyway, um, I'll put all these pictures up on the... On yeah, the everybody go follow the something about farming on Instagram. Uh, we're all going to start putting a lot more stuff up on it, being hey, more interactive. Hey, El Matador is going after it. I got to start coming to... Instead of a monthly podcast, we got to start weekly. doing this more weekly. Uh, he got rid of his wife and kids, and he's like, well, I don't want to be at home alone I didn't get, tonight. So. I didn't get rid of them, because <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I'm the most dependent person there is probably in this world on my spouse. Man, me, oh. I, I, man I, can't, I can't sleep when my wife's gone. I get depressed every time she... I mean, I know she's going to have her own life, and I'm happy for her, but... 
I say that she doesn't have her own life. We're always together. But the point being is when she goes out of town, I just I just love her. I'm just very blessed. And so I really love her. And so when she leaves, it makes me sad. So I told Tex to come over and bring some steak. <laughs> well, I told Tex to come over and I was actually going to cook him pork chops and he showed up with steak. Pork chops? Yeah. I would have gone home, Rambo. El Matador. That's an insult. Why are you insulting me like that? It's free food. What? It's not as bad as Yardbird. I didn't cook you Yardbird, did I? That's like one step up from your wife's hamburgers a couple weeks ago. God, don't don't insult my wife, man. (laughs) They weren't even round. They were like... I didn't see you in there pressing patties. Did you have... Everybody in the group loved them, except you. I'm just saying, there's better ways to do things, you know. You can always learn more from other people. Don't don't shut other people down when they're trying to give you some kind of even. Uh, if even it's not a good idea, you laugh at them later when they go home. Hey, she offered you the chance to pet press them yourself, and you turned her down. I was gonna get slapped across the face if I reached over there and touched that stuff. I wasn't that dumb. And as uh, two sheets to the wind as I was that night, you could I wouldn't have been making them any better anyway. <laughs> I don't think sober you could have made them any better. I guess if she's listening to this, no, because I want to come over next weekend. <laughs> I'm sure she doesn't just sit around and listen to SAF podcast. I mean, we could use the place. <laughs> <laughs> we're going we're gonna to start doing like they did back in the day with radio books. So this is actually an interesting story. So the reason why, if you look it up in radio, I'm a big fan of radio. I don't know what it is about radio. It's pretty fascinating. How it works. I mean, you know, for, I mean, years, I mean, 100, 100 years now or something, you've been able to hear people talk from places that aren't anywhere near you. And it just fascinates me really How a lot. How travel you know? the globe. Yeah. Yeah. And like I... Um, and space. I love CBs, man. CB radios. I, I want, I want a CB. I, I have like five of them in the garage. No shit? Mm-hmm. Son. Hey, we can install them and start talking, son. Hell yeah. Yeah, there you go. Way better than Snapchat. I've actually got a really cool one, but uh, I've got two really cool ones. One of them got a John Deere faceplate on I'll it. I'll trade you some steaks. Ah, it's all right. <laughs> I like my radio. I'll get you fixed up, though. Anyway. Point me in the direction. While we're going on, on, on this chat about radios, though, radios just fascinate me. And I, I guess it's just always been that way, and that's why I listen to talk radio all the time. And, I, you know, I, I like I love NFL football, but I don't watch NFL football on the TV. I listen to it on the radio. I, I do like I, listening to the announcers when, more. When you them. get somebody, I, I guess the greatest thing, and what we want to do with this podcast, or at least I do, you know, those guys inspire me because they they can paint a picture and you can see it in your head. You're not there, but they are so good with their, or you know, being good orators, for all you that don't know, that's a good speaker, you know, having, anyway, long story short, they they can paint a picture in your head, and it's just really awesome, and you can just picture it. Now, I don't really know why we got on the subject of radios. Well, hell, you, uh, I don't know. That's <laughs> one thing that old Stephen Ranella does great on Meat Eater. He is so good at describing stories. He He's a really good host. And as many hours of podcasts I listen to every day, you think I'd be better at it, but you just got to be long form and descriptive. You just got to describe every little detail to make it good. I don't know. Just keep going, man. It's just a podcast. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I know. But I want to be good. 
I know, but I, a... I'm telling you, I got them all, Alzheimer's from my grandpa. I don't know. We're talking about your fest. Oh, something about Dave Ramsey, and then I went to CBs. <laughs> I don't know. You may, might want to Google it to get you back on track. <laughs> <laughs> We were doing something about radio, and I can't remember. It fascinated. Oh, you were fascinated about how descriptive people can be on. And before this, no CBs. We were talking to each other before CBs. What brought radio into the chat? I I don't know. I was playing off of you, I guess. (laughs) Oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm I'm back on it now. I'm back on it now. So. Uh, radios just fascinate me, but back in the day, oh, and I'm talking the radio logbook. Yeah, so the radio books. So, um, and this ain't even really. Have you ever wondered? And and this is really what's what's funny. But have you ever wondered why, when you go to a city, the majority of the time, the rap stations are are the highest rated radio stations in a given area? Hold on, you're, you're gonna you're, you don't know this yet, but. Like ratings for rap DJs and rap stations, predominantly in in the in the black areas of town and other other places where the radio is really prevalent um, for like you know loud um, bass and, and all kinds of cool stuff that they do with radio modulating all the tunes and hmm. really cool shit. But anyway, they um, radio stations when they do their ratings, they send all these things out to their I guess to their listeners. Really? They're these little books and they're supposed to fill out what time of day, how many times a day they listen to the radio and that's how the radio gets their ratings. Hmm. Well, they they found out these rap stations could pay people to get higher ratings. So they paid these people to listen to the radio, which bumped their ratings up, which made them sell more ads. The guys make more money. Yeah. What What I was getting at on this when we were talking about, it, I was like, "Well, my wife don't listen to SAF," and you said, "We need all the listeners we can. Maybe we should start paying people to listen to our podcast." <laughs> you start making a profit on this deal, I'll be down for it. So I think I'm going to just start uh, playing it on repeat, just while I'm sleeping. That way you get all those views. Man, the other night I fell asleep listening to, uh, I think it was an old meat eater. That that podcast just makes me happy. It's Never a great podcast. <clears throat> anyway, he's got a Netflix show too, Meat Eater. Who is it, Joe Rogan? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Joe know. Rogan's been on it. He goes hunting with him. Oh, Meat Eater like a hunter? Yeah. Oh, okay. Hence the name Meat Eater, you know, man. So what, dude? There's a lot of there's a lot of people put weird stuff. Pinos. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So, uh, that night I fell asleep with that podcast on. I woke up so happy that next morning. I just woke up in a completely different mood with that, on the, with somebody talking to me all night. Motherfucker. <laughs> a male voice, especially, huh? This is why this thing can't be a video podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you love to see that live on that? No, not really. <laughs> oh, Lord. We just want people to listen. But you know what's funny? I, I will say, you know, when when uh, Boots was telling us the other day that he was going to edit it. Yeah. And I thought he was going to take a lot of the swear words out. And then I get on Apple iTunes and I download it because I don't want to listen to myself talk because I ramble. I'm trying to get better about this because I like radio and well, I like to host a talk podcast. show. But anyway, so I listen to our podcast to kind of critique myself because I'm just a guy that I, I'm a perfectionist. And... Uh, this whole time I'm hearing us cuss, and then but anyway, 
I listened to it before I listened to the podcast. I downloaded it and it's got this big explicit E on the side of it. No to, shit, yeah, Art to, says? To, tell, to tell everybody really? that it's an explicit podcast from Apple. Seen that. Oh, yeah, check it out here. I'll show it to you. It's pretty hilarious. I couldn't believe your wife was just able to just lay down and go to sleep in the. She's used to be rambling all the time. What are you talking Jesus, about? son. Anyway. It wasn't all episodes, it was just the El Matador huh. episode. Huh. <laughs> Y'all ought to give us some feedback. Uh, yeah, hey, hey, let's. Uh, do we not have an SAF? We've Facebook? got an email address, and then they can DM, DM us on the Instagram, Instagram page. But do we not have an SAF Facebook? No. Why don't we do this? You could put one up. I'm going to put one up. I, that's what I'm going to do. Anyway. I just but, tell them to get a hold of me on Snapchat. Well, we're, we're going to have a broad spectrum audience, Hell and we want yeah, more people so. to start following us on Facebook. We'll do what anyway, Limbaugh doesn't do. Exactly. But we want, you, we want your feedback. What do y'all want? To hear us talk about more. What what interest the viewership or the, the listenership of SAF? Yeah. We would love to we like, would love to yeah. know your critiques. I mean Rob Sharkey, I wish he'd talk more about farming than just interviewing people. Like I love hearing more about the farming and I guess that's That's why I listen to Agritalk, man. Chip Flory, Davis Michelson. I love how brothers. you know when we start doing this, I'm gonna start introducing myself like if y'all don't listen to um Y'all don't listen to Agritalk. Um, you need to. But if you do listen to Agritalk, you know how Davis Michelson, every time when he introduces himself, I'm going to start doing that like for me. It's, um, I'm handsome. He says, I'm handsome newsman, <laughs> Davis Michelson. I'm going to start saying, I'm handsome, El <laughs> Matador. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Oh, it's pretty funny. I, hey, you know, they always say, and I, I'm a firm believer in this, it, it's a, a positive mental attitude can overcome anything. Anyway, so, you, you know, if you tell yourself something over and over and over again, even if it ain't true, you'll believe it eventually. If so everybody maybe, around you is doing the damn thing, too, like Santa Claus and so Easter Bunny. Every day, well, I guess you're getting a little far-fetched here, but every day he tells himself that, so maybe he's that's how he's building his self-esteem up. I don't know. I've never seen the guy. I can't tell you if he's handsome or not. He's on radio. <clears throat> his voice is handsome. See, that's another thing with radio. You have to imply. So this is the greatest thing about being a pilot. I'll tell you all some funny stories. So when I was doing my flight school training, I went to Bastrop, Louisiana. We flew into Monroe Regional Airport all the time to do our towered work. And that's actually where the FAA sends uh, air traffic controllers to be trained. No shit. So it's not really a good combination. It's a shit you're, you're, show going yeah, on. <laughs> so you're sending rookie pilots in, and they got rookie people working the radar panels. It's a little bit, a little bit tricky there. So my first lesson, I get up there, and there's this chick. And uh, me and, and my, my instructor's name's Mike, and he's good old boy. He was a uh, state trooper in Arkansas. He um, He's a helicopter uh, repairman in the Army. He's a helicopter pilot and an airplane pilot. I mean, just interesting dude. I love flying with him. He's just a great, he was a great teacher. He didn't just show you, he taught, and he was good at it. And uh, anyway, though, he takes me in there. <clears throat> and I mean, I'm just, you know, Seth Venable down from the farm. First time I'd ever been in Louisiana. We're four days into my flight training, and we fly into Monroe. You know, because unlike the public perception of aviation, I don't talk, we don't, 90% of the time, people, general aviation, don't talk to people. They don't file flight plans. You don't get followed on radar like everybody in the world wants you to think. 
you actually have to go into airspace to do that, like at Lubbock Airport or, yeah. you know, different airports on a sectional chart will be, anyway, so uh, okay. will, will be highlighted to show you different different markings, show you what kind of airport, whether it's a, uh, you know, a Bravo, a Charlie, a Delta, or an Echo, or Class G airspace, which is pretty much everywhere else. Anyway, um, so we go into the uh, airport, and so this is my fourth day on it, but they kind of, it, it's a hands-on learning. So I'm sitting there, I'm taking off and coming in to land, but I've got to talk to this lady. And I'm used to driving trucks, you know, and, and tractors and talking on the two-way. So, I mean, I'm just having a ball on this this lady. We're, we're going to get to where I was going with the uh, the voice sounds and handsome, if that guy was handsome or not, because basically going off a of voice. But anyway... We'll get to that. But anyway, so on, on the first landing I come in there, she gives me a read back. She said, after landing, you know, you're cleared for the option. Uh, if you're going to do a touch and go, you know, follow runway heading. And, uh, yeah, she said, on course runway heading, climbed like 3,000 feet. And I said, 10-4. Uh, That's not proper radio yeah. phraseology. And my instructor looks over at me and Mike goes, what the hell do you think we are, in a cow truck? No, it was great. But anyway, the, the the lady that told me this, she just sounded gorgeous. And so we always play a game as pilots. When you hear somebody on the radio, you always just wonder. Because they're sometimes they'll have the ugliest voice. And then you'll actually meet them when you go to the airport. And they're like drop-dead gorgeous. Really? And sometimes, yeah, and sometimes like this one girl, she had a very pretty voice. I mean, it just sounded amazing. She would be a great one nine hundred call receptionist person. Take by the minute. Just, I mean, <laughs> she could have told you a story. Get her to with do an intro for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Hey, now you're talking. Track her down. Uh, had had an amazing voice, and I'm not trying to be judgmental because I'm an ugly guy. But when I saw her, I, I was like, no way. No, and then I had to get her to talk because I was like, there's yeah. no way. And then she started talking. I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. But it just goes to show you the voices you hear, you always – that's the greatest thing about radio is it play. It, it's like if you're a guy and you see a girl with a lot of clothes on versus a girl that's skimply dressed like in a, yeah. in a bikini that shows everything. Yeah. Your mind can wander more. Your, your mind can, yeah. It's a lot more yeah, fun. <laughs> a lot more fun <laughs> you know, like like my, my wife, I love when she wears a one-piece bathing suit. I know what's there, yeah, you know, but yeah, but I, it's just, it, it, the, the, I guess it's modesty, but it it, uh, it brings a... An illusion, kind of, well... Not an illusion, because she has a pretty body, but, you know, just as a guy, there's, there's more to... Yeah, it's mystery. That's what it is. Just like radio. And I don't really know how we got onto bikinis and stuff, but we're just talking about voices on radio. And how they can have so much. So you hear these people. The craziest thing is, like, if, if we're on SAF right now and any of y'all end up meeting any of us, you know, I mean, your mind can wonder. And the moment you meet us, you could think, I, I heard you and you sounded taller. Or, yes. You know, every podcast I've ever listened to. You listen to these people all, their hour, all these hours, and then you meet them and you're like, you're completely different from what I had pictured. Yeah, exactly. It's because your mind formulates. <laughs> I mean, nobody believes that I wear a top hat every day, and damned if I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm personifying. <laughs> Yeah, and, and <laughs> except for you, they're going to be like, text you did sound short of the podcast, too. <laughs> Somehow, it's funny how that comes across. Got short words, I guess, short sentences. Anyway. That hurts because we're always ragging on you for being short. Well, I guess uh, the apple. Hell, that didn't even go anywhere. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but 
That doesn't make sense. We got you. We got you, fam. No, this group chat is just too much fun every day. It's a bunch of good group. It's a good group of people that's in it. And mm-hmm. there's not a day that goes by that you don't learn something. And, like, uh, it's kind of like I've been in the group chat since uh, kind of the 1st of July. And apparently this thing's really kind of two years old from the time that a welfare wage started it. And it's run through a lot of people because it's hard to find people that really do talk and uh, are interesting. It's, I, it surprised me how many people really can't pull a grade for the kind of people that we are, I guess. I mean, you're always going to find people that's got their niches, but finding people all over the damn country. Because we've had people from North Dakota. Uh, like our Canadian friend. Where, where has he been? He's just... Uh, he told us the other day, Avon, Mr. Maple. <laughs> he told us the other day. Oh, he's been bird hunting. That's what he's been doing. I don't believe that you can go hunt birds so many hours that you can't talk to us. But that's yeah, his story. That and bird hunting and drinking it. Mountain Dew. Yeah. This guy's keeping the stock prices up for the whole goddamn company, I swear. <laughs> Poor kidneys are got to be. Yee. Maybe we should cut back on the swearing for this podcast, too, if we want to really make it professional. I can't say nothing. My my whole podcast got labeled with an E, so that goes to show you about me. Yeah, I guess so. Have I been cursing that much? I mean, not much, not not any more than I have. But huh. I'm just saying we're we're Hadn't trying to we're it. trying to get professional. That's the beauty thing about podcasts, though, man. These do smell good. These cigars. We're about to go have us a good stogie outside. Yeah, and it's not windy porch. outside. We can just step out there and keep recording if you want. Rocky Patel. I think it. Uh, it's a girl. I got these on the day my daughter was born. Got twenty four of them. Twenty four of them, huh? Yeah, and there's about six of them left. Where'd you get them from? Ordered them off the internet. Oh, really? You didn't even go to Lubbock to get them? No. No? Well, because ever since Heroes and Legacies closed down, which was my favorite cigar shop. Now, they I say Smoker's Haven. Thing so bad. They said Smoker's Haven is really great. I've just never been in because I don't smoke anymore. Once I quit smoking cigarettes, I'll have a cigar every once in a while. And I and by every once in a while, I mean like once a year. I had, I had a couple of these last year after my daughter was born, and then they've been sitting in my bottom drawer. I, I just have always wanted to have a good cigar. I need to go get my cutter. Like, uh, uh, he's still on 790 on Sundays. Dave, no, uh, the Cigar uh, Guy. Oh, yeah, Cigar Guy, uh, the cigar General. Dave? Cigar Dave show. Cigar Dave, yeah, the General. That's a pretty funny show. I just like Robert Pratt. <coughs> Pratt on Texas. And, and my buddy Steve Evans. Have you met him? Nah, so I haven't met him, but we've been friends on Facebook. Really? But, you, but, it, but yeah, he got into a whole, okay, Chad so. Chad Hastie's pretty good. I like I like Chad. Chad. Yeah. That, you remember Neil Matt, Bortz? Yeah, so. Fucking Neil Okay, Bortz. so so that's a funny thing. Most all the stuff that I, like the, the radio books and stuff, I get all that from Neil Bortz, man. I still really? subscribe to him. You know, he still does a podcast. No. Right? Yeah. Two ninety nine a month, man. Oh, Connect my God. Connect Pal. Oh, it's great. He's been doing it since he quit. Well, I'm going to pay for that. Oh, it's I worth it. I miss that guy. My I know. Life. I love it. He's good it is people. so fucking funny. <laughs> it's because he's honest. and I don't agree with You know, that's the thing about it. There is not one person I listen to on the radio that I agree 100% He was with. like the first guy ever I ever heard going gluten-free. 
And this guy's like three years ahead of the curve. Yeah, Grain Brain. That's the book he always advertised. But uh, anyway, he, um, but he, he, you know, he's, uh, Neil is a very libertarian guy, which a lot of us are. I, it makes you know, sense. Yeah. You know, 80, they, they said if you take a test, 80, like 80 to 85% of Republican voters hold libertarian views. But the whole libertarian movement has been hijacked by all the crazy druggy people, which I, you know, I, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm out there. I've never, I've never tried drugs. I, you know, I do my, my occasional drinking, but I never, I've never even tried pot. I've had plenty of opportunities. But the point being is, I'm an ultimate freedom guy. If you want to smoke pot, you want to do cut, I don't care. Don't make it uh, the biggest part of your life. I mean, do well, it yeah. at home, away from everybody. I, but no, I, I guess. But what Just I'm saying, what I'm getting, what I'm getting the point though is, the whole, the whole point here though, what I'm trying to get at is, I'm for ultimate freedom, I, and that's what I agree with Bortz on. I am ultimate freedom, and for ultimate freedom to work, you have to disagree. You have to allow or be okay with people doing things that you disagree with. That's the honest truth. But the way I look at it is, I don't care what you do. If you go home to, you know, if you're a Tom and Tom and Tom and Tim, a Tom and Tim, <laughs> or a Tom and Kim, you know, it doesn't matter to me because what you do is your business, and you're gonna have to, you know. Be at least somewhat point, I, respectable about it, though, where you're not putting it in other people's face, and then there's not a problem. It's not anybody. You do business. you because at the end of the at the end of the time, it, whether you believe in a, a given power or not, I do. At the end of the time, you'll have to answer for your mistakes, just the same as I'll have plenty to answer for me. I promise you, I'll probably have more than most people to answer for. But I'm just for the ultimate freedom. I love people to. Ha- I want people to be free and prosperous, and I want the government to play as little part in their lives as possible. Everything we do, everything the government touches, taxes on it. T- tell me one thing right now that the government doesn't tax. Red diesel. Uh, food. If you're in Texas, I can't believe in New Mexico you got to pay food on your taxes on your fucking food. Yeah, and it's only certain foods though too. It's really, certain, certain grocery items. But Is that way in Texas, I well some. Yeah, I don't know about New Mexico, get, but in Texas, most everything's food wise is tax free. But the point being, somebody in there had to pay that's a tax. Wild. On it. But let's be honest, somebody in there had oh, to pay okay. a tax on it. From what I'm saying the is, beginning of that, it? from the beginning to the end, and any product in in this country. There is nothing that somebody didn't at once pay tax on. Never thought like, of like it Like red diesel way. the same way, man. The people that haul it, they have to pay yeah. taxes on the on making a profit for hauling the load. Oil companies. I mean, Everybody there there is nothing. The government makes more money that you wouldn't even believe. Every time you fill up in the state of Texas on red diesel, there's 50, or 45 or 50 cent state, I mean, not a state, a 50 cent federal diesel tax. Per gallon. On a red diesel? No, not on a red diesel. Yeah, you said red. So it's 16 cents state, and then it's another... It's 48 or 50 cents. I was reading the deal on the gas pump the other day. Yeah. But long story short, it's so crazy that people people always say, I don't want to get involved in politics because, you know, it... I just don't want to make that a big part of my life when they don't realize it's already a part of your life. It's the biggest part of your life. It's the biggest part because they take more money. You can't get away from it. You know, you, you know, you think you pay, oh, I only pay, you know, 20, 20% of my income a year in taxes. That's BS. You might only pay that on income taxes, but everything else, you're paying, you're probably paying 35, 40, 50, even some cases more percent tax every year. 
Because everything you do, you have to pay another tax to do it. You want to go deer hunting, you got to buy a license. you got to pay your state and federal fees. Oh, you want to go duck hunting? Oh, you better pay your federal waterfowl stamp, you know. Oh, you want to... I really... So I like the way our uh, country's uh, fish and wildlife... I mean, that that's one thing that this government does right more than any other country in the world. Nobody right. has a better uh, wildlife system than what we've got. And how many times can I mention this podcast... Uh, meat eater, but like they go so in depth about it, and he goes all over. He's gone all over the world. But even then, stuff, and nobody's got. A, there's nothing free. Yeah, you know, God gave us this stuff, and He put us in charge of it, and He put an order in the dominion of of man and animal. But that is one thing the government needs to be in charge of. I don't think so because, because it, there wouldn't went, be no. any of it. Well, let's put it this way: because there was private, a time the that private, it was, and we the, didn't have any. The we private, used it all so up. they. How many resource. how many thousands of years have we went with not eradicating species die every day? Here like Spe- species die every day, man, and they go extinct. Let's just be honest: the government can't manage anything. They couldn't even fight their way out of a wet paper sack. There isn't anything. People used to always say the one thing: the government. Oh, the government has to do this. Nobody else can do it. Yeah, NASA. So much NASA. of that is bad. Well, let's let's look at NASA. They said only the government can do this. Only the government can send people to the moon. Only the government can do this. It has to be the government. And that, look at them now. That's Elon, pretty mind blowing. Yeah, and yeah, and look at what Elon Musk is doing right now for like one tenth of the cost of what it costed the government to do it because there's no bureaucracy because he's a private industry. The only way he's going to make money is if he's profitable and he does a good job, and he has to continue to innovate to save cut cost even more. Whereas the government, they can just bloat the budget, bloat the budget, bloat the budget. So what I'm saying is there is nothing in this world that you can do with the government that the private industry couldn't do better. Except fight, well, yeah. Everything, everything. I'm a pilot. Everything. Building roads, it'd be a lot better. Just nothing. It's so. It takes too long. There's you know, so you know many, many people involved in it that don't need to be involved in it. All the paperwork. The you got people just sucking off the tit of it every way. Down. How many how many projects have you heard about in Ever the private in? industry that go over budget by all these millions of dollars? If they did, these companies would go bankrupt. And then years over, years over. Uh, okay, so Highway lot. 70 from Olton to Plainview. Actually, from Olton to Halfway, where we're up here in the, in the Panhandle, Texas, where I grew up. For 11 years, they worked on the highway from Olton to Halfway. Well, that damn deal in Littlefield, it took them so long to build. And then it bankrupted the goddamn city. That deal went but on forever. Anyway, but for 11 years, so they would place one side of the highway. And the moment they'd get it done... They'd let everybody on that side, and they'd start working on the other one. When they got that one done, the other one was already trashed because they just didn't do quality because it's It's the exact work. same thing on uh, 385 from Littlefield to uh, Whit Harrell. Yeah. That that deal. So, uh, the, so the dangerous is, driving tractors back and forth up and down that deal. If you had – that's the thing. If you had a private industry doing that, it's either going to be done right or they're never going to get a contract again. Yeah. So what I'm saying is there isn't a co- – even fish and wildlife, private industry would do way better. Look at all these people paying to go hunt in places like Zimbabwe. And all these, the guys paying. And these big people down there, these big natural preserves that they've set up basically to go. Where you do these hunts and you feed the villagers. Man, these guys, that's private industry flowing money over there. And these guys are realizing what they can do with it. Like in the country, 
and what they're doing with their, you know, their, yeah. their they have a bunch of poachers, but they, they're they starting to crack down on a bunch of this stuff. Well, you have the Plains Reserve in uh, Montana. That is a private deal where uh, it's a big uh, foundation, and they've got this money that they can spend on land, and when you have a willing seller, willing buyer, they're going to try and put together a big... A prairie reserve that's not in the mountains it's just a prairie reserve with buffalo antelope how it was before so let's let's go back to this on the government again with when it, with regards to how you said that they need to regulate animals fish and wildlife because the government can be the only true savior of these what's the whole reason that the buffalo are extinct well so all the ranchers kind of pushed it, and then the government pushed it too. The United States drove out Army, the, un- the but Indians. it was everybody. I know, but I'm saying the United States Army was the biggest part in that of killing buffalo and hiring people to kill buffalo. And you know what they did that for? To drive the Indians to their knees, take away the food supply. It was. Uh, I mean, the ranchers hated it because they wanted it, they'd tear up everything, you know, and they need the their stock grass. And then uh, the north, there wasn't a beef industry back then. Like there just wasn't. The, he had to feed all these people. Well, that wasn't even getting used. It was all their hides for leather in factory. Yeah. They weren't even using that meat. But the point being is the government had a big, big part in the the eradication of a lot of the buffalo. And so that's I guess that's my point is the government gets in anything. You listeners, you listen close. The government gets in anything. It's going to be worse than it was if they had never got in it. You can't convince me of the otherwise. You tell me any program in the world, I can tell you a better way to run it. You ready to get that cutter and sit on the front porch? It's such a beautiful evening. We ought to... We'll be real big time. We'll be smoking our fat cigars, podcasting. It'll be too much fun. Hey, there's two chairs in the back of my pickup. You want to grab them? Yeah, I guess. No, there's two chairs on the porch already. Okay. Figure out where I put my old cigar cutter. Anyway... Wet set in and rained seven inches on us. Seth, you know how many inch? I guess I shouldn't be asking you that when you're out of the room, but I'm guessing around seven inches on us yeah, in three days. 7.3 here. 7.3. Our neighbor down the road, he said he got 6.2. But uh, it, it, for the most part, it's pretty slow rain. It's just a lot of rain. For our part of the world, we're not used to Getting something like that. Is this, what you <laughs> this is why it's not a video podcast. And uh, I wish it would have come a couple weeks earlier, you know. We could have got a lot more use out of our moisture, but usually kind of our average uh, first little freeze date is the second week of August, third week of August, uh, October, I mean. And uh, so don't have that much longer to really grow grass and like all summer has been so dry over here hadn't really grown enough grass to go very far into winter so i guess there's another little thing you got to deal with but glad to get what we got already it's been a pretty good deal just so glad it wasn't uh hard and fast and it all eroded everything out son you need a pocket knife or something in there el matador yeah, I have to figure it out. Hey. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Fat. Oh, no shit. Yeah. My mama went to school with him. Really? Fat tire cowboy. 
So who came up with that name? I don't know everybody really. Brian said, Rose was one of the I'm going to send that to my cousin. Folded. Slap it on my truck. I don't know what happened to my old cigar cutter there, big guy. It'd be alright. We don't need it. But it'd be nice to have. I got a Zycar and them things ain't cheap. Well, maybe you'll uh, have it right by next weekend. What do you think? Maybe. It'd be great if we could get this podcast rolling out on a somewhat steady basis. Yeah, we'll just have to refine a few things. Okay, we're back with El Matador again, and uh, we moved outside to smoke some cigars, and we didn't even make it outside, and we hit the hour mark on the podcast, and it cuts off at 59 minutes and 59 seconds, and we were just having a, we were just going along talking pretty good, and we finally looked at our phone, and the damn thing wasn't recording, (laughs) so we lost it all. Anyway, we got the first hour and everything, but. Is it just a beautiful afternoon, evening, sitting out on the porch, smoking cigars, good cigars. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was just, uh, El Matador was telling me he was working down in the oil patch, and he was on a fracking crew. I don't know anything about that, so. Yeah, I've, I don't know, I kind of, you know, for a kid that's only, I'm tw- only 26, I turned 26 in March, I've kind of, I've experienced quite a lot, I guess, if you really look at it, I mean, I've. You know, farm, done production agriculture. I worked at a research station for a little while. Um, you know, run cows pretty much all that time and went to the oil field. I've been all over <clears throat> Texas, New Mexico, and Oklahoma with that. I was out there for about, I don't know, a little over a year and a half. And then I got into ag flying, which is what I really wanted to do. The whole reason I went to the oil field was to get into ag flying save up some money never happened you know when you're a 20 year old 21 year old kid making 100 grand in the oil field you just spend it all and then spend even more on credit cards which is why i talk about dave ramsey here (laughs) (laughs) not just stupid with money but uh anywhere i worked with hydraulic fracturing which is really it's a really neat process that hadn't been around a long long time but i was telling tex about it i mean you know, you uh, as an EO or equipment operator is what we what we call ourselves. Um, you know, we you have all these odds and end jobs when we're not pumping stages. When we're actually like hooked to a well pumping stages, when we're not doing that, you know, you do everything from pump maintenance, rigging up and rigging down iron, which we're talking about. I mean, three and four inch iron that's designed to hold fifteen thousand psi. Which pretty what's the sidewalls on something like that? Oh three inch, quarters. Three quarters, yeah, maybe. And I mean it's, it's a three inch pipe. Yeah, three Fine. inch pipe. God. Hammer unions, all hammer unions, unless you're running four inch safety iron, then it was uh safety clamps with bolts. You'd run really? it through there, yeah. And I mean, you know, everything most everything we had out there, like the chicksons, you're supposed to team carry pipes, team carry the bigger pipes because they're just so damn heavy. Everything's so damn heavy. And it's all got like color bands on it. We had color charts that we'd stickers we'd put on our helmet and tell you when it goes out of date. And when it goes out of date, it has to be sent off to be reinspected. You can watch videos. Go go look at frack iron parting on YouTube, and it looks like a freaking. I mean, we're talking about steel lines here that look like garden hoses because there's so much psi. Oh, I saw I saw stuff that you wouldn't. I mean, you wouldn't believe. Um, when I was out in the oil field, I worked for a company called Trican which is a uh, fracturing company out of uh, Alberta, Stan, Canada. Hmm. Hmm. They uh, they own, like, the largest market share, 
I think they still do up in Canada of uh, in in the fracturing market. They don't work in the United States anymore. They went bankrupt and or because that deal was developed in Texas. I watched it fracking. Yeah, yeah, it probably was. But they do it a bunch up in the tar sands up there. Hmm. But anyway, it's just a big company that was owned owned by them people, and now it's Keen. I guess Keen owns it. Uh, but anyway, I worked for that company, and man, there was, I mean, all kinds of stuff. We worked for Shell and Anadarko, and anyway, but when you'd rig these irons up, you know, we're using eight-pound sledgehammer, six-pound and eight-pound hit sledgehammers, and you put these hammer unions on, and you know, there's actually truly a way to swing a hammer. And, it, you know, some people always thought it was like chopping lumber, dude. No. I mean, there's a way. I, I've seen guys swing. I'll show you some videos. I've seen guys swing hammers, and you get good at it because you do so much of this rigging up and rigging down, taking pumps offline when you got to fix them, all kinds of stuff. So you just get used to it. I mean, it's all on the wrist, man. You're not really ever carrying the weight of the sledgehammer, and you can do a lot of damage with a hammer real quick, you know, with them hammering. It's pretty awesome. So there actually is a technical good way that somebody's figured out to swing, swing a hammer that doesn't involve using your back. Anyway, so we'd rig these stages up, and and when we'd go to pump down hole, down hole, all the EOs would have a certain duties. So you had everything from setting in the data van, which is like the main van with all the computers and sensors and everything. You had uh, like the blender tender who blended the water and the sand and the chemicals all together as they're going down and pressurized it and pushed it through the lines. So there really is a chemical when you frack it. Oh yeah, there's there's all kinds of chemicals. Um, huh. Like, you know, we did, there's two different kinds. You got slipstream, the slipstream blenders um, that you can have a clean and a dirty side. And the clean side's clean water and the dirty side's got dirty, you know, the dirt. Cutting. Well, not cutting, but like sand, chemicals, or cross-linking. If you're cross-linking using like a Plex gel, it's pretty Hmm. cool. So you actually put these two chemicals together. It makes like a flubber. You you know, and when you work with like a... uh, one of the Kim guys, um, well, what do they call them guys? The uh, oh, we had a name for them. I can't remember. It's been so long since I've been out there, about four years. But anyway, um, these guys, the engineers, and it was like an engineer helper. Anyway, they would take these samples to the data van because the company man for like whoever you're working for, Shell and Adarco, they have a guy there watching the entire process. There's graphs and all these different charts, charting tools that show how you're doing in the stages you know there's 50 60 sometimes 70 stages on these fracks where you're just pumping different pounds of sand different types yeah different types of sand i mean some of these things are three four five hour jobs of pumping just pumping water fresh water and then you add sand and then you'll add a different mesh of sand like different sizes of the grain because what happens is what you're doing is you're pushing this you're forcing this when you that rock is insane looking yeah kind of picture like a lava rock but it's got very tiny little porous holes in it and and what you're doing is with the pressure in in limestone even limestone we did a lot of limestone frack i mean you know and all that but it's um very you know what you're doing is you're just cracking the shit out of this this rock and then you're putting sand in there in these little bitty fractures you're using the pressure you're putting sand in there so when you remove all the water and flow all the water out the the sand doesn't come back because the rocks close on the sand but the sand hold the cracks open mm. so the oil actually flow out into the oh it's really neat so um usually it would start off like we'd start off going down hole we pump fresh water as in we open the well 
And depending on the well, how it is, sometimes you'll get pressure coming out of the well yeah. or like on a new well. So what happens is that – so the way it works is the drilling rig will come in and they'll drill, you know. And then when they pull out, they're going to put casing down however far. And the only way fracturing works around here in the West Texas Permian Basin is um, it's always horizontal well. So you get a drill and rig that basically makes a big L. But it, they, they only can have some, you know, the, 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 the tube or the bore, the well bore, will only be as long as it is tall. Really? Because, yeah, because you got head pressure pushing that bit. Uh-huh. So once you get more, you can't, you can't go longer horizontal than you went down because you just don't have enough head pressure to push it. So I heard about the longest horizontal well being drilled the other day. Is it, we did one, we fracked one that was like 16,000 feet. 16,000? I want to say this one was 40,000. Oh, I believe it. I mean, the technology's there. It's, it's, you know, maybe maybe they've got new... They're, they're always innovating, so this they, they like could have... a month a, ago that I heard this. So they could have a, a, a rig now that could overcome that. But for the longest time, you could. That's the way, you know, if you went 10,000 foot down, you can only go 10,000 foot across. Because wasn't that... <clears throat> didn't fracking become a pretty big deal, like, in 2014... Yeah, so like well, when you no, were it was it, it was back around in two in the early two thousands when it be, started becoming a bigger in the deal. Early two thousands, yeah, sometime in, you know in ten. Okay, because well, I was out in the oil field in in third fourteen, fourteens when I was there, and they were already way out. They had been out there for four or five years, okay. at least just the company I was working for. Okay, but uh, anyway, so what happens is they drill the hole and they put the casing in and then basically you come in there and you're the next person. Yep. So sometimes when you open the well, sometimes the the pressure, it pressure back into you, but you, sometimes you have to fill the well bore with water too. Like there was times we'd open it up and we'd get a negative, like a negative pressure. Whoa. Because it's actually sucking the water out of our pumps faster than we could pump My it. My gosh. Oh, it's, it's, it was, in, it's insane. In. Man. And so anyway, but what you do is you fill the well bore, or after you've already filled the well bore on the first stage, the next couple of day or next couple of stages, you know, and they're they're. I mean, we're talking like you could have you know a whole bunch of different stages and and number of stages in a, in a job, and um, anyway, um, and one stage could be like three to four hours, you know, and you have fifty of them or thirty of them or whatever, and each individual has a different. Like when these geologists measure this stuff, they they each one of them has a different mixture of how they want to frack it, how they want to make it play out. But usually ninety ninety nine percent of almost a hundred percent of everyone that I ever went on, actually I think everyone I ever went on, um, if what you do is you start flowing the water, get everything, make sure everything's running, and then you dump freaking hydrochloric acid down the hole. And it, man, you can watch this pressure. So in the data van, we got pressure sensors, you know. And as it's going down hole, man, the pressure will start creeping up. And we had two different sets of irons. So one comp or one one of our fleets was for ten. Th- we had nine fleets, but one uh, one or two of the the fleets were ten thousand psi trucks and iron, and and the, a lot of other ones were fifteen. So on the ten thousand, we ran seven to eight thousand psi as normal. You know, at nine thousand, we start tripping pi or tripping gears on pumps and uh, and, wow. and because we don't want. We don't want to overpressure the iron because then you have to recertify all the iron. So you always try to stay below your ten thousand psi. And then on the on the fifteen thousand, we'd run in some places twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand psi. Now, that's a lot of pressure. 
anyway, but you'd, you'd be going down hole, and so you'd start, and it'd be at like 2,000 PSI when you'd open the wellhead. And you start putting that water down there, and it gets three, four, five, and then you send the acid at a precise time, and you'll dump, I mean, quite a bit of acid. I'm talking, you know, like 1,000, 12, 1,500 gallons of acid down the hole. And when it hits that limestone, you'd pressure get up five, six, seven, 750, 785, 8,000, and you're starting to thinking, okay, come on, where's it at? Where's it at? And they have a time, and they can tell what happens. And anyway, also it'd be 8,000, 8,500, and then it would freaking drop to like 400 psi Jeez. because it just destroys that limestone, you know, uh. when it hits it. And then you just start, at that point, you start cranking up the pumps. We'd be running 40 to 50 freaking barrels a minute, which those of y'all that don't know, an oil filled barrel is 42 gallons. So you're running what sixteen, eighteen hundred gallons a minute, yeah. pumping down hole, and a high pressure. That's yeah, at, at like six thousand, five thousand psi, or or ten thousand in, in a fifteen thousand iron case, and um, then you're running stuff down hole like uh, plex gel breakers, pH balancers. Um, you could have gels, oxidizers. PH, so. Oh yeah, it's all kinds of. I mean, just uh, there's all kinds of stuff that they. Because, you know, when it's when you're developing a well, you you it's got a certain time frame that it has to last with the solutions you put down hole before they come back with, like, whole tubing and actually drill out these plugs. So what happened is the first stage, you, you go frack. And then when you get done fracking it and you'll pull out of the hole, a wire line will send a wire down with, with like, a, a plug setter on it. And this plug setter, it's a perfing gun is what they call it. It's a, it's a big stick about 20 foot long. It's got blasting caps all in it, like dynamite and shit. And then at the very bottom of it, it's got a plug. And it goes all the way down in the hole, and this plug, when they ex- it expands to the wellbore, and it blocks off the stage so you can't frack it again, right? Some of them were actual plugs, and then some of them were plugs with a little bitty hole about the size of a golf ball in them. They'd pull out, well, the company man, when they'd pull out, and they'd detonate. And you could, if you stood on the ground by the wellhead when wireline, even though it's 17,000 feet down there, or whatever it was for the wellbore, you could stand on the ground under the wellhead and the wellhead would shake when they blew up the guns. Oh, it was nuts. And sometimes they'd forget to like put the grounding wire on and when they'd pull the live guns out of the hole, I mean, you had to see, we had to turn off all radios, anything that could send any kind of signal because it's happened where they detonated above ground and hurt a lot of people. Because I mean, you're talking about major explosives. Yeah. You know, and so anyway, you could feel the whole ground shaking like a little earthquake, it, it's badass. But anyway, so they'd put that plug down there. They'd pull their guns out. Well, we'd get ready for the next stage. Well, they'd open the top of the well. They'd close the wellhead. There's two different valves on the wellhead and then a whole bunch of different trees that go in uh, to a wellhead. And then the top valve, they would open it. They would drop a ball down in there after they drained all the pressure off. And the, the company man would sign a paper and say he dropped the ball in there. And it's about the size of a golf ball that fits exactly in the tube of that plug. And so they'd drop the golf ball in. They'd seal up the top of the wellhead, they'd open that valve, and then they'd open the main well valve. And once they'd open the main well valve, that ball drops, and it goes down that pipe, and it's, you know, it's hauling ass down there. And so what we'd do is we'd freaking crank up the water, and then they had it time. these engineers would time this to a perfect time, and that's when they'd send the acid right behind the ball. Right, you know, you'd have some water, and then you'd have acid, because they want that acid hitting right almost as the ball hits in the plug because it it makes a big spike in pressure and when it does it spikes that acid all more into the into the into the rocks into the formation and it would just 
cripple, like I said, because you'd watch that pressure go all the way down, or you know, it'd go all the way up, and as when that ball would hit, the pressure would go from like two to three thousand to like eight thousand, and then the freaking acid hit it right behind it and drop it down to like fifteen hundred or two thousand. I mean, it's just it was nuts. And anyway, so we we did all kinds of stuff like that, man. But you had uh, like you had your EOS where you, usually everybody started was on the sand cans, which are these big like grain bins for sand and you had 100 mesh you know 60 40s all kinds of different meshes of sand and it all depends on the grain size and then, and then you have schedules everybody has schedules for every stage and it's like hey we're putting this many pounds here this many pounds onto a conveyor belt that goes into the blender and the blender has three screws and they'll turn on the one screw for a certain pounds, and then they'll turn two screws on and then when it we're, we're running wide open down hold you got all three and it goes into this um, a densiometer and, uh, and the densiometer is actually radioactive. You have, if you drive that truck that has a densiometer on it, it's, it's a hazmat because it's a, it's a, it's a radiation hazard. Like there, there's, it's actual like nuclear radiation. You have to sign paperwork. I mean, it's, it's a big deal to move this thing around. Right. And I, I mean, I got to do it and other people, but you had to be you had to have all your paperwork in order and all that. But anyway, it read, it, it, it reads, um it it uses i guess um whatever kind of technology with this radiation to measure the density of the water with the sand and you use like pprs on your blender well you would adjust on your pprs which is pounds per revolution on the blender on the screws to to match whatever the schedule said they needed hey we need five pounds right now we need four pounds on the blender 10 pounds on the blender and you would go until it measured 10 pounds on the radiation meter and send it down hole anyway so uh but you know so you had your your sand guys and then you had your kimad and they'd have like a van full of totes and pump chemical pumps and they had schedules they're supposed to run this much for this deal and you know sometimes they had the kimads had auto so you'd get it close and then turn it to auto and then it auto controls the chemical flow um and then from Kimad, people either went to like pumps, running pumps inside the data van, and the supervisor tells you which pumps. So you'd have a screen, and you'd have, you know, sometimes we'd have 20 pumps. And you're sitting there, and you got different gears, first gear, second gear, third gear. You had five uh, quint pumps, which are like five-stroke pumps. They have five different plungers. Yeah. Or you had tries. Like so. A- like a hydraulic pump kind of works. Kind of. And so yeah. you have you have the quints and the tries. The tries had more torque in the first gear with three pumps, but the, the quints would produce more water pressure or would produce more uh, water volume. So. And they go into this missile. And what we, we called the missile was just a, it's a trailer. It's a semi-trailer. And all it is is iron pipes. And so you got a low pressure side, which is the suction side. And then you got your high pressure, which is all these pumps pushing into this one pipe going into the wellhead. Anyway, I mean, so, you know, you're talking 13 PSI on, or 13,000 PSI on the top of it, while the bottom of it, the, the inline suction hoses are 500. And so you'd rig up all these pipes and tie all these pumps together, and all the pumps are run into a data van. And then there's a screen with, I mean, it shows you RPMs, gears, and then you can set, like, pressure limiters, because each pump has a pressure sensor, so you don't overpressure lines. And uh, you have to do pressure tech checks before you start pumping every stage. And you get pretty damn, and you get pretty damn close. I mean, there's times. I mean, we would drop sixty psi, or we'd get to sixty psi within overpressuring the iron. And when I ran pumps, dude, it was always scary 
there was one time I got real close because at the very last, you're trying to grab just one little bit of gear and you got to kick it out before it hits the pressure trips because it'll spike, you know. And so you sit there and you build it up, build it up, build it up, and you'll get within, I mean, you're talking like 100 PSI of max pressure on these irons. And then it's got to sit there for so long and hold pressure or you got to figure out where all the pressure's going to. And uh, anyway, so that was pretty neat. Um, but anyway, so you'd go from the pumps and then you'd go to like uh blender, the blender tender, and then you'd go to like a backside supervisor and then you go to line boss and the line boss is the most experienced outside guy on the crew. And he runs all the iron. He is the only one allowed anywhere by the pressure to iron when they're bleeding off pressure on the lines. He's the guy that does it. I mean, when they open the wells, he's, he has to sign the papers stating they're opening or closing the well. So he is he is the outside supervisor in charge. Then inside the data van, you got like a data van supervisor who runs all the data van. And then you would have your um, your soup, which would just be your, your – sometimes you'd just have a crew supervisor, and then sometimes you'd have a field supervisor in there too. So you'd have three supervisors in the data van and then your outside line boss and your backside boss. So I did everything except data van management, but I, I knew how to run the data van, but I never got to that point. And then um, inside supervisor, I never got to, but I, I was an outside supervisor, I was line boss, and I moved up pretty quick. I'm talking about like within eight months, you know, they say it takes four to five years to make a good line boss. But just because I got there, I worked my ass off, I moved up relatively quick. I mean, within a month and a half of starting there, I was running pumps, which is pretty unheard of too. Um, you know, cause they had a schedule which you would follow, but I would find like when I first, my first day on the job, there all the sand can guys, all the guys were up there. I'm like, fuck, I ain't doing that. So I learned how to do it for about 30 minutes. And I said, oh, there's a ton of people sitting here that can do this. I'm going to go find something else. So I just went to the Kim ad and I was like, Hey, can I hang out with y'all for a little while? And then I learned that system and then went, went on and on and on. The blender was the most fun. Um, cause you're in your own little compartment in there. You get to, you, you it's an enclosed environment. You know, you turn on the radio they, everybody talks on radios, you know, not like a, a radio you listen to yeah, music, but yeah. everybody's got two ways. Everybody's got headphones on in location where you're talking with each other, but you're the guy, you're that guy. You're, that's your piece of equipment. You're inside, it's got a fans, AC. I mean, it was pretty nice. That was one of the, the best. And then you're running the pumps in a bowl, and it's got a bowl, so... Um, where it mixes the water and stuff and yeah. you know you'd fill this bowl up and you're you control how fast the turbines are working and you're just i mean it's you're operating equipment it's heavy equipment's what it was and, you know there's a lot of a lot of cool stuff that happens out there man wireline guys you know that's um that's probably a job if i ever go back i want to be a wireline guy or cold tubing which is a gigantic roll of steel tubing that they put down the hole so what happens is after we pull out when the frat guys are done we seal off the well They'll come in, then Flowback will come in, and they'll flow the well. So they'll, they'll open it up, and they'll drain all the chemicals and waters that they can get out into a pit. And then Cool Tubin comes in on top of it, and they'll go down to the first stage, and they'll take a drill. Because the, the uh, Cool Tubing is like a basically a gigantic plumber tool. And they'll run a drill bit or something down there, and they'll drill them plugs out. And then they'll flush the next stage, and then on and on and on. And then they'll get a workover rig. They'll come in there. And it'll drop in the pipe, the sucker rod, everything. And then the final stage of completion is when they put in the pump jacks and the, the, the battery tanks that they're flowed into. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the completion side of it is, is more stable when you're on the completion sides, as in, like, the already completed wells. 
hauling oil, hauling crude, which I'd done, you know, when I got laid off. So they, they closed down, they, they fired nine or eight. We had a, a fleet of nine frat crews and they fired eight of them. Gee. Yeah. So the, we had like three rounds of layoffs and, and I made it through every one. And then the very last one, they laid off 250 people. They kept like 15 guys on board and I wasn't one of them. So anyway, so I went there and I went to Mirror Image Environmental Service, which no longer exists, I don't think. But anyway, and then we washed out frack tanks, cleaned mud pits, all kinds of just dirty, grimy work, but it paid good. And then from there, uh, when that business folded and I got laid off again, it, they laid off everybody and just shut down. I think they shut down the entire business. But um, then I went to work for uh, UPT hauling crude oil. And I was up in Alva, Oklahoma. So almost all my my time was in Carl uh, was in the the southern New Mexico part of the Permian Basin, and then all around Odessa, uh, Mentone, Pecos. Most of my time was spent around Pecos, fracking in Mentone, which is Death Highway down there. And we did a little bit around San Angelo and Sweetwater when I got put on a different crew and they made a new fleet. But um, I went all over, and then crude crude hauling was just. I mean, it was all right. How big is that shell? So, like, around Alva? How big is that area up there that they're going for? I don't know. I mean, I, I went like all the way from, from... Weatherford all the way. Like, from Alva, I, I went out 60, 65, 70 miles sometimes to pick up a load of crude. Yeah. So, but crude hauling, that wasn't that great. I mean, it was it was fun. It paid decent. It didn't pay what it did on the exploratory side because it's completion side. But, it, I mean, it paid the bills. Yeah. And then I left there and went to flight school, finally. But I slept in my truck for 43 days. 43 days. 43 days in my pickup in the yard in Odessa. In my pickup, in the back seat of an extended cab pickup. Because they took our man camps away when the oil field... The reason we all got laid off is because the oil field started tanking. Yeah. And that was a big slowdown. And then when I went up to Oklahoma, so within a month and a half, I was already through my... I guess I worked there two months, and then they shut down. And then from there... I went to UPT, excuse me, and uh, and from May till September, I worked, the first 40 days I worked and I lived in that semi and then I showered and every like third or fourth day we would, a bunch of us that were camped up there in our semis, we'd get together and rent a hotel room for an afternoon and everybody just go in and take showers, you know, and then the rest of the time you're doing baby showers or yeah uh, well i forget horse showers horse showers yeah that's what i was thinking of with baby wipes yeah and uh and it, it did okay but you're biting... oil all day too on top of that well yeah you don't really get that dirty though yeah. i mean you get you get a little greasy but i wore coveralls or you know because you have to wear your fire retardant gear up there and head you know you got your helmet and your glasses and gloves and so i didn't really get dirty it's mostly just sweat because you're packed in fr gear and fr gear does not breathe which is flame retardant gear, you know, and still toe boots anyway, but most of it was just sweat. But even then, as long as you didn't have to ride with somebody else for a couple of days, you were good. Yeah. But when, like, the trainer guys, they took showers almost every day, which I don't blame them because I wouldn't want to ride with somebody stink like shit all day. But it was a yeah, pretty 100%. fun job. But the, the only time you made money is when you went far off and hauled. If you did them little 10, 12-mile runs, it sucked because, you, you, you know, you'd get 30 bucks a load and, where you could go to 70 miles out and you're making 150 bucks a load. Yeah. So, I don't know, man. I had a lot of good times. Uh, you know, for, for the year and a half that I was at Trican, uh before they shut down, I mean, I, I worked with the same guys for 13 months of that. 
you know, a little over a year of that, I worked with the same set of group of, of nine, nine or ten guys. So we were like brothers, man. I mean, and we spent 26 days a month together. So I worked 15 Phew. days on, six days off. 15 days on, six days off. And um, huh. stayed man camps about the size of an average college dormitory. It had a, it had room for a uh, full-size bed, a TV, a shower, a sink, and a desk. And that's it. And then they cooked us meals, so they cooked they breakfast, lunch, dinner. Yeah. Well, the the breakfast and the if you stay if you were the night shift, you could eat breakfast, lunch, and then that you were gone because we did twelve hour shift, but you were 14, 14 to fifteen hours what you'd be traveling every day, because it usually take two hours to get there, and you had to get there before relief time, which is six a.m. So we'd leave at four three forty five to four, depending on where we're going. Sometimes earlier, sometimes a little bit later, but usually around four four thirty. So you'd miss out on the hot breakfast. So you'd have, they'd have sandwiches that they made and all kinds of stuff, Pop-Tarts, crap. And then when you come home at 5, they'd serve dinner at 7, and you so you'd get a hot dinner. It was, I mean, it, you know, and we'd have caterers. When the oil fill was good, we had caterers on location. So they oh, would, shit. Yeah, so they'd cook good shit for you at noon. And hmm. Sometimes the food was really good, and then some days they just cook shitty shit and but, just had to deal yeah, with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My favorite, we had one one guy, he cooked for us on Anadarko for four months, man. I mean, the same guy every day. And he started finally getting used to us, you know. It's probably longer than that. He might have been there for five. But every hitch, we'd come back, and it was the same guy. And so he started kind of judging what we wanted to eat. And he said, dude, I'm building y'all's company no matter what, so y'all tell me what y'all want to eat. And so we'd kind of give him a list of what we liked. And then we always, there was one thing we always wanted, and that was black cherry Kool-Aid. We all love black cherry Kool-Aid. That's oh, the best, man. Never had it. Never had it. Yeah, just cherry or cherry Kool-Aid, either one. It's just, it's good. It just, we always wanted Kool-Aid. Huh. And banana pudding. <laughs> For a guy with a truck, he did okay. I mean, we did Banana chicken. pudding is better than uh, chocolate. Yeah, and some days, I mean, they had meatloaf, and then some days they had fish, and fish in the oil field. Some guys loved it because they said, oh, it's a light meal, especially when we're rigging up and rigging down, but I hated fish. And I, I especially hated fish that was cooked in the middle of the desert. Yeah, same. Being out of a cook truck. Yeah. <laughs> Being around all that heat. Best thing I ever had there was hamburger steak. They cooked hamburger steaks one night. Yeah. The night shift got a, had a caterer or two. You know, they'd cook dinner. And then they... uh They'd cook dinner, and then they had a hot box. And so anything extra they had, they'd put it in this hot box. And if you were hungry, you'd go by and grab it. But all of us, you know, we were all... I got $36 a day for per diem on top of my pay, and then they paid for the hotel. But so every day I got 36 bucks, and we'd spend most all of it at the convenience store on tobacco and Gatorades, Monsters, Cokes, yeah. snacks. So 36 bucks a day, you can spend a lot. And, and even with all the food that we had, I mean, you you know, you just do whatever, and I'd... You know, I just had a good time, man. I mean, it, I'll be honest, that was one of the most fun jobs I ever had. It was one of the most physically demanding jobs I ever had, swinging hammers constantly, carrying pipe and all that. But uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, if I ever went and did anything besides farming, that would be like number 10 on my list. I'd go back to doing that. As a single man, it was great. Yeah. I don't think it'd be that great as a married man with no. kids because you're, you're gone 24 days a month. That's pretty rough. That That is hard to do. 
But as a single man, it was great because I come home every six, every, every 15 days, I'd have six days off and it was a vacation. I would go somewhere, man, and go to the casinos or go really? shoot and do, do. I mean, we'd blow through just like, two. like uh, Robert Earl King sings about, huh? Yeah, pretty much. You just spend all your money. I mean, dude, we'd, <laughs> we'd get drunk all friggin' days off, go to the lake, go riding four wheelers somewhere, go to the casinos, buy like 3,000 rounds. Six of, days is a bunch of days to kill, man. Oh, yeah, and then a row. single. Yes. Yeah, and then you got, uh, you know, with bar- and usually it starts, so your six days starts on a Wednesday. Yeah. And then you're off until the next Tuesday. So you got the whole fucking weekend, going to every, I mean, the bars. I mean, we just, we had a good time, man. Because all the guys that I went to crew with, they're all from up, up around here, too. Really? Yeah. We're, you know, well, six, six of them were from up around here. One of them was my best friend. You know, we don't talk a whole lot now. He's an ag pilot now. He followed me to ag school. We'd never been on a farm before, but he uh, he's a good he's a good guy. But we're, we don't really talk much anymore. But we were on the same crew together, and so dude, we'd get we'd leave there and we'd come home and we would like I said we'd go buy three thousand rounds of ammo and we'd burn through it in six days. Oh Just I mean, having all kinds of fun shit, man. Had a good time, but that was that was a really cool job, and it was really good for a young kid to go do. Yeah. I got to experience a part of life that a lot of people don't. Understand where you're, yeah. The, Sometimes it's good It's good if you're single to get away for a while and go do something that you're not used to and get uncomfortable. And the money was really good. That's what uh, a lot of the deal with. People thinking college is so good. To get away from uh, the kind of little worlds that you're raised in, so you go somewhere else and see a bunch of different views, and uh, come back, so you're not just raised in one spot with one set of with one mindset. You get around a bunch of different minds. Good experience for you. Yeah, and it's you know I've got buddies now that are still in it. Guys that once they got laid off, some of them got to come back. Once Oldfield come back up, they had a high rehire list, and so a lot of them went back. And but now I've got buddies that are freaking in. Like well, I got one buddy who is one of my supervisors. Actually, he's in Saudi Arabia now. He works one month on, one month off. So he'll come back to the United States for his month off, and they fly him over there, and he does hydraulic fracturing out in the in the Saudi deserts. Just I mean I got guys that's you know buddies of mine that. Um, they weren't, they were like my buddy Brady. He, um, anyway, he was on a offshore drilling rig and that sounds pretty good too. I, I would have liked to do that out on the offshores. You know, they, they good on them rigs, you know, you're on there for 30 days and, but it's all paid for, you know, you don't have to, I mean, you get paid to be there and, but he's on the rigs. They have movie nights, drinks cafe you know like the cafeteria cooks real good like steak and lobster overnight and all kinds of stuff i mean they they take care real good care of them but they spend a lot of money out there i guess but and you can't go anywhere and spend it too in that month oh exactly but when you get home you're ready to tie it on Mm -hmm. so what i heard about fracking is anywhere there ever was an oil reserve shelf the whole outside of that is frackable so anywhere they ever pulled oil out of the ground, they can go back and frack it. And get more, yeah. That's about yeah. right. The you permit kind of got played up. limited resource. Yeah. As long as you're able to frack. Well, you know, they just found, oil. they just found, you know, all these people were talking about how oil was getting scarce, and they found the biggest play they ever have with new, new, new technology we have now, which is fracking, and that's between freaking Snyder and Abilene. It's, it's one of the under big, Lubbock, too. Yeah, it's one of the biggest oil plays they've ever, they've ever found. So, uh, 
you've ever been around blowouts very much, or is that more okay, on the drilling so, side? No, no, it happens in frack. So I do have a story about this actually, and that's what I'm. I've seen horror. I mean, horror things that you. It's. Um, we're working a well, and there's another crew. It's blue crew. I was on brown crew, but we we're blue crew was fracking a well, and they had a blowout. It, running about 8,000 PSI, the wellhead. You know, these wellheads are like 70,000 pounds. Well, and how big of the casing is. So you got that huge, that's a lot of square inches, and then you got 80,000 pounds on top of it. 80,000 or 8,000? 80,000. Shit. I mean, you're talking about a truck load of weight. Well, that's like a 26-inch casing or more than that. I couldn't tell you. It's, it's fucking it's huge. stupid. Amount I mean, I can stand in it. We'll put it that way. Gee, it's, that's but anyway, and uh, but anyway, so they're out fracking, and they hear a crack, and I mean, they're going down hole at like 40, 45 barrels a minute, and I, they, the line boss comes screaming over the radio, "Shut it down! Shut it down!" What happened? Is that freaking eighty thousand pound wellhead was floating six foot off the ground because the casing had a fault in it, and it cracked, and that that wellhead was floating about five six foot off the ground with all that water acting as like a little jet pack shooting out of that hole ha- ha- holding it over well all these pumps they're rigged into the data band well there's an e-kill switch and when you press it what it does is it, it pops a butterfly valve on the intake side of the engine i mean it kills it instantly it's just like a runaway valve is what it is and it kills everything it kills the data van it kills anything with an engine on the location all of it all the pumps dead is for emergencies only. You have to test them. When you rig a pump in, you have to test the e-kills to make sure they work. Before you start pumping a stage, you have to te- check the e-kills. Every stage? So like no, a- just when you when you rig in a new pump, you got to test that individual one. Okay. And at the beginning of the job, you've got to test the individual, or you got to test the, the master box. Yeah. Anyway, so he killed it, and uh, this wellhead just falls. Once the water stops going through it, it just... Well, that... Freaking well, just bubbling, bubbling, bubbling. All of a sudden, it starts geysering. And I got, I had, well, I guess I don't on this phone. On my old phone, I had videos of it, man. I mean, I'm talking about 150-foot geysers of pressure, water coming out of the ground. Water, chemicals, acid. So they run all these guys off. They had a big safety meeting, and then all of a sudden, the, the well started spraying. So they all got off location. They went a quarter mile down the road. Took people's cell phones away. Like, this was an, a hush-hush deal. But some of my buddies didn't get rid of them. They said, oh, we don't have them, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they took videos, and we got the videos. But anyway, so they brought in Wildwell Control, which is a big control for, like, blowouts and crap like that. And they brought in these guys, and they brought in, and they're trying to figure out how to stop this well. So at first, it would blow, like, 30 minutes, and then it would stop for, like, a minute and a half. And then it'd start blowing again for, like, three days. And then it got to where it'd be, like, five minutes It'd blow, and then it'd be done for five or ten minutes, and then it'd go five minutes again, just geyser. And they got into a rhythm, you know? And so they started rigging all these pumps down, but the whole location was black. I mean, covered in oil. And so I got sent to go over there and help them. And when you got over there, you had to have rubber boots, and then we wore cotton gloves, and they had, you had to use um, brass hammers. We couldn't use regular hammers because all no oil sparks. was flammable. No sparks. So we, we, what would happen is we'd all have a little safety meeting right outside the truck. Man, they, and they brought in like corporate, I mean, any kind of emergency response, gas testing people. The sheriff department blocked the roads so nobody could come in and see it. 
Like they didn't want any coverage of this. They had people monitoring, and they were one of the operations officers, one of the big big wigs that works in the main office. They took our information down. Everybody that was on location at the time or had been around the location, who knew about it, they watched our social media accounts. They watched, you know, they when you got to location, you took they took your phones. You know, they didn't necessarily read through them, but. You know, some of them they did. They just checked your videos. They would check and make sure you didn't have any of that crap on there. And um, because it was a hush-hush deal, and if you didn't give your cell phone, you got fired. You know, I mean, you kind of got forced into it. Wow. But uh, but anyway, so they they watched our social media for months on end, and they said, anybody that's on this sign-in sheet, if we catch anything, you're done. So, I mean, I never really told nobody. I had a couple videos. I never really sent them out. I didn't put them on the Internet. It's nothing. But anyway, so... Excuse me. We'd have a big safety meeting on the edge of location, and when it right when the guys would start falling down, they they'd start a timer, and then we'd run in there and we'd rig out a pump or two. So we had like eight. I think there was sixteen pumps on the location. You'd run in there and you knock the iron off real quick, stack it on the truck, pull the trucks out, haul ass. They'd blow a whistle with like two minutes to go, and everybody had to evacuate off location. Then it starts spraying again. I mean, it's wicked. And this was like a week it took us to get all the crap out of there. And for like three so days... So they just have to abandon that deal or what? Well, okay, so they finally... What happened is they got a mud pump in there and they were trying to pump heavy drilling mud down there from the very beginning, even when it was geyser, and they were trying to pump heavy drilling mud down there to stop the flow of the well. Because it's just like uh, that Deepwater Horizon accident. Unless you seal the well off, it, I mean, it, dude, there was no telling how long it could go. They finally got it stabilized enough that they could put a freaking... They had to dig a new casing and put a new valve on it to shut it off. But, uh, and all that oil, I mean, the whole pad was black from oil and gas and chemical. And we'd be out there rigging it, and there were people walking around in them NBC suits. You ever seen the nuclear, biological, and chemical suits? Yeah. Like the big old yellow glow suits? So we're out there with no protection but hard hats and gloves, and these people are walking around with these chemical sniffers wearing them suits, and I'm sitting there thinking, huh, that's not, you know, if they're in those, why ain't I in those? They're the one with the equipment. You know, it starts making you think of what you're getting put into. Um, but anyway, long story short, it was insane. But for the first three days of that was about the easiest days I've ever had on frack life because we sat out there for 12-hour shift. We got paid for 18 hours. They had, catered, they had caterers out there that catered all three meals. From when we got there, we got breakfast, lunch, and dinner anything you wanted to drink whatever because they brought in all these people and they set up these uh trailer houses for all the corporate people but for three days we couldn't get on location because it was spewing so bad so we just got to sit there and eat and hang out all day and get paid and i mean you're talking like we're getting you know 35 38 bucks an hour yeah just to sit there and hang out and get catered wow but it was it was wicked and then when dude they hauled that so they hauled that wellhead off and they sent it to nasa nasa did a bunch of testing on it they're trying to figure out what happened they shut down the entire fracking operation until they figured it out and it turns out there was a few other casings it was a process when they were connecting the the wellheads with the casings something happened and it didn't cure the concrete didn't cure right and it ended up so they they shut down all the all the fracking operations until they could verify that they're all fixed they found a couple others that were questionable and but anyway, so they they wrapped this wellhead up in white. I mean, you couldn't tell what it was, so you couldn't tell what it was. And they drove it all the way down to Ellington Field down at NASA, and they unloaded it in a hangar and did a whole bunch of accident shit on it. 
But that oil, that whole pad was covered in oil, but never once did anybody say anything about the EPA or nothing. And I, so I'm sure what happened is they got a dozer and just went out there and dozed all that dirt up underneath and started over again. Yeah. So my blowout story, this is back in the 70s, uh, early 70s. Two miles from our house in Lubbock to the south, they they came in and they always been looking for oil around Lubbock. Uh, I actually got two stories. Yeah, my dad drilled. He worked for DB Drilling around Lubbock in the 80s. In the 80s? Mm-hmm. So, like, the first one I ought to tell you about is Doodlebug Hole. So, <clears throat> Granddad was row watering. This is in the 50s. And uh, he's going out to change his water sets. It's after midnight. And uh, they're running moonshine into Lubbock even in the 50s. I believe it. And uh, so they haul that moonshine up from wherever they were making it in one car, and then they'd back up to another car and throw their unload into a different car, and he'd take it into town. Well, Granddad would never bother them or anything. He, he didn't want to be around them. But he's down there changing his water, <clears throat> and he's got his V-ditch run across, and he's messing... Uh, messing with the siphon tubes well there's just a bunch of bubbles coming out of the middle of his ditch and he's sitting down there looking at that bubble and then all of a sudden this big giant uh, post shoots up out of the ground and it he feels all that wind go right by his uh, forehead so a doodle bug hole it's just like a, a core they're just down there looking for a core well, they just capped the hole with a wood plank. That's all they did. That big deep hole. Just and when he ran his V ditcher across it, he knocked that deal loose, and that water ran down in there and built all that back pressure up. Shot out. Okay. So that's right there on that quarter se- uh, half section that we live on. So two miles south of that, in the 70s, they're drilling a big hole, and they hit a big air pocket. And for a month and a half, it blew air. Nobody could get anywhere close to that thing. They'd hear it from the interstate three miles over, and the people were always calling about that racket. So, Granddad, uh, I think it was early in the morning when that deal blew. And uh, he jumped in his pickup. No, no. So that deal blew... And somebody walked to the, somebody on that rig rock, walked up to the house and said, I need to use your phone so I can call corporate <laughs> and tell them what happened. Because nobody had phones back then. And uh, so, okay. And then they get back in the truck and drive that back to that deal. Everybody's way back away from that thing. They're a long ways from it and there's rocks falling down all over them, around them. And it's so loud you can't even think. It's just driving you crazy. That deal is sandblasting the rigging real bad. For a month and a half, it's blowing air out. <laughs> all the enormous hole you got in the ground. How can you keep all that air underground? It's a nature. For a month and a half that a you're nature. blowing that much air out of the ground. It's a nature of wonder. Or a wonder of nature, man. Yeah, Dad. Dad was on some weird deals, you know, like H2S gas is a big deal, which is hydro- dihydrogen sulfide. And uh, 
the hydrogen sulfide gas will kill you. It smells like rotten eggs at first, and then all of a sudden it, it higher con- concentrates, you can't smell it. And I mean, you know, 50, 50, 15 million or 15 parts per million for 30 minutes will kill you. 50 parts per million or 100 parts per million, one of the two, will kill you instantly. Anyway, um, so we have these monitors, little gas gas monitors that you wear all the time, and if it those start vibrating, if you get around H two S, I've had it happen one time, and that was that wasn't on the fracking side, but it was on the uh, crude hauling side. I went to a, a sour fields, what they call it, and it started going off. Even though at locations on even on fracks, we had uh, we had SCBAs, we got trained how to use SCBAs, self-contained breathing apparatuses like the fire departments use. We got trained on rescue, how to go in and get people. All kinds of stuff. I mean, I, I took a lot of safety classes that were pretty cool when I worked in Oldfield. But uh, Dad said they had to drill under oxygen, so that basically they were drilling this hole and it had it hit. They hit it somewhere down there. But anyway, they all had to wear oxygen masks, and it, it was fed by a big oxygen compressor or whatever way down there. And so anyway, they they worked the whole day under oxygen and uh, or the whole the whole well under oxygen. The whole well. And then a little while later, it came right there on the Anton Highway where 4th Street or Frankfurt hits. Yeah. Frankfurt hits the the uh, highway coming out here to Millshoe. You know, the battery tanks that are right there across the road. So Dad, he had he was on one rig that was right there by that one. And then there's another little set right here, not very far, probably within 50 yards of it. Well, there was two rigs sitting there. Dad was on the one closest to Frankfurt, and then they were over there. Anyway, they were drilling one night, and... Uh, on the top of them rigs, and not in the derrick, but on the crown, on the very top of the drilling rigs, there's a big gear, and it's got a pulley, and it sits there and goes like this, right? Well, that gear has grease zerks in it, and when they're not running the rig, they get up there and grease it. Well, the one night, the derrick can got up there on top of the crown, and he told the guys down there, hey, I'm going to grease it, whatever. So you have to stick your arm through this gear, and it looks like a bicycle wheel. And he had, he had his arm in there anyway. He was greasing and they kicked the freaking Kelly drive in, and it freaking snapped over and ripped his arm off. So Dad said they heard him come over the radio talking about it. One of the guys up top was radioing or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, they uh, that that Derek man had enough wherewithal to take his belt off that he had underneath his coveralls, and he tourniqueted his arm. And yep. then he climbed all the way down from the freaking derrick, one handed. In the enormous pain. Yeah, in enormous pain, in shock. I don't know. Anymore. Anyway, and they got him in the ground, and they took him to the hospital in a car. And that's just that's uh that's insane. So that where that well blew out there by the house when they came back in, shit, that would have been like. 13, 2012, whenever they did that big geological survey all around Lubbock. Right. They set another rig up right by where they said that well was, and they never found anything. Damn. But in the same damn spot is what everybody said. They put that rig up again. I don't know. That's pretty damn crazy, El Matador. Oh, it sure is. Hey, we're at 51 minutes again. We better hey, that, call that was it. a pretty good podcast. That was a good one. I like that one. Yeah. Well, you want to tell? Hell, hell yeah! You want to say where people can find you? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah! If you want to look up uh, El Matador on the old Instagrams, um, it's uh, I think it's TX Ag Pilot six hundred two. 
Uh, we'd be more than happy to I'd be more than happy to have y'all find or follow me. He's a he's a cool ombre to watch. Um, Facebook, it's facebook.com slash venable.seth. Or something to that effect. You want to spell Venable? V-E-N, Victor Echo, November, Alpha, Bravo, Lima, Echo. Oh, it's calling Versatilly. Versatilly. Uh, mm. And then, anyway, if um, you want to find me, my Snapchat is T-Y-V-A-N-C-E-8-8, all lowercase. Ty Vance, 88. Yeah, and then I got uh, Asphalt Cowboy 15. I never even knew that was a Jason Aldean song until afterwards. And then at that point, I couldn't change my Snapchat name. And I had too many followers and people friends with. I was like, shit, I'm stuck with it. Poser. There's still a dead dead face. Here we go. Y'all have a good one. This is El Matador. And Tex. Signing out. Stay safe out there. Stay frosty.